Welcome back everybody to another installment of 10 things I like here on the Keyboard Kimura platform. E Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, jumping in to talk about the elements of UFC 288 this weekend, Newark, New Jersey, that really kind of piqued my interest, that have really captivated me in the build to this event. And in these next couple of days are going to be the things that I'm really focusing on, that I'm really looking forward to as we get to the event on Saturday. Before we get there, there's a little QR code up in the top corner. If you scan that, it will bring you to the Keyboard Kimura Substack page where you can subscribe for $5 a month, $50 for the year, or you can sign up for free. All the stuff that I put out gets delivered directly to your inbox. The payment not only helps me produce this content, there will be stuff that I put up behind a paywall over the course of the year going forward that just goes out to the people that are contributing to my abilities to be able to put this stuff out there. I'm not going to be a ton of stuff. I'm not going to make this entirely behind a paywall because I want to get this content out to as many people as possible, but there will certainly be some stuff every month that goes behind that paywall. So click that QR code, scan that QR code, subscribe. Everything comes to your inbox. Easiest way to get all of my content. You can also check it out on the YouTube channel. Same thing as this at keyboard Kimura, or just follow me on Twitter. You see the handle at the bottom of the page. I also want to give a shout out to the name up at the corner to the One Bone Boys in Montreal. One Bone Brand is the IG and Twitter and the web address, onebonebrand.com. Please go follow them. They are a phenomenal brand from Montreal putting out amazing gear. This is one of their shirts. This is one of the anniversary Michaels. I absolutely adore it. Everything they put out is phenomenal. It feels good. It looks good. It's the first time for a guy like me that is pretty self-conscious that has gotten bigger over the course of getting older, that I feel really comfortable leaving the house. Not just comfortable in a like cozy sense, but comfortable in a like, I look good, I feel good. That old adage, right? Look good, feel good, play good. I look good, I feel good. Hopefully I'm playing good up here on this platform. So check out the One Bone Boys. Shouts to Sam and Adam and the whole crew. Which brings us to UFC 288. As I said, Newark, New Jersey, the Prudential Center, The Rock, the home of the New Jersey Devils. A phenomenal fight card on pay-per-view this weekend. Let's get into it. Item number one, a bantamweight legacy fight in the main event between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. And honestly, to me, I think this crowns the number one bantamweight in UFC history all time. Now, you can certainly make a case for a couple other people. You can make a case for Dominic Cruz, who didn't lose the title, who came into the UFC, sort of grandfathered in as the division was introduced after being the WEC champion, never lost the title the first time around. He had to relinquish the belt because of injuries. He defended it prior to that, beating Demetrius Johnson, as we all recall, beating Uriah Faber. Uh, actually beat Uriah twice because he came back after a bunch of those injuries. He got a win over to Cam Mizugaki. Then he goes out and he ends up fighting TJ Dillashaw, defeats TJ Dillashaw in a really close fight that kicked off the year. Uh, I believe it was 2015, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 2014. And so Dominic Cruz has had two runs. TJ Dillashaw, who I mentioned, has had two runs, right? Wins the title in stunning fashion, upsetting Hennem Burrell when that was a massive upset. Defends the title against Joe Soto, defeats Hennemarau in another rematch, but then loses the belt himself back to Cruz, comes back, wins it back off his former teammate, Cody, Gober Car Cody Garbrandt. Excuse me, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'm this, I'm, this is how fired up I am. 
goes back and wins it back in a matchup against his former teammate, Cody Garbrandt, then goes out and defeats him in the rematch, tries to go down and get a title from Henry Cejudo at flyweight. That goes awry. We know where everything went since then. He fought for the title last year against Aljamain Sterling. Shoulder pops out, whatever. It is what it is. I think they are the two men that right now also are factored into this. <clears throat> now, Henry Cejudo won the title when it was vacated after TJ Dillashaw was forced to vacate the title due to testing positive for EPO ahead of his fight with Cejudo at the start of January of 2019. Beats Marlon Marais, loses the first round, rallies, comes back, gets a third round stoppage win. Defeats Dominic Cruz as he defends the title for the first time and then hangs up the gloves. It's been three years less a day on Saturday since that fight. So if he comes back after that break, defeats Aljamain Sterling, I think you can make a case that Henry Cejudo is the best bantamweight of all time in the UFC. I also think that if Aljamain Sterling goes out and gets a victory on Saturday, you can make the case for him. Enters this fight on an eight-fight winning streak. He's already beaten a couple former champions and Piotr Jan and TJ Dillashaw. And say what you will. Throw whatever asterisks you want out there. All you can do is beat the guys that are put in front of you. And it's not a, this isn't figure skating. This isn't gymnastics. There are no style points being scored here. You get the win. That's the win. And I know it's not strictly wins and losses that determine these things. It's overall quality of competition. There's not many people that have fought a tougher slate over the last five, six, seven years than Aljamain Sterling. And if he successfully defends the title against Henry Cejudo to make it nine straight, to make it, I think, seven or eight wins against top 10 opponents, to make it nine or 10, 11 wins against top 15 opponents, only face three guys as of right now that weren't ranked over the course of his UFC career, which is a staggering number and a great representation of the level of competition he's fought. If he goes out and defeats Henry Cejudo, I think you maybe have to put Aljamain Sterling at the top of the list of all-time greats in the UFC bantamweight division. It's a fascinating fight. It's a fascinating discussion. I think one way or another, we're having it on Monday, Sunday and Monday, and I'm looking forward to having it. Item number two, Bilal Muhammad's pressure. I sat down and talked to Bilal last week for a story that is up now on the UFC website. Please go check that out. It is a great read. Bilal was very open and honest and candid about some stuff with me. And one of the things we really talked about was the pressure and the pace that he brings into these fights and what it's like for him as an athlete to be in there and feel these opponents wilting underneath that pressure. And to me, one of the things I said to him was like, listen, I've never fought. I've never knocked anybody out never going to happen, but I would have to think there's something different. It's a different kind of big feeling to feel somebody crumble beneath your pressure than it is to land that big shot. And he just said, absolutely. I can see it in their eyes. It was especially great to do it to Sean Brady, who was talking a bunch of junk before that fight, that this guy can't do nothing. I've fought better, yada, yada, yada. What's he going to do to me? And then he went in there and we all saw it at UFC 280. Sean Brady was game out of the gates, 15 and 0, undefeated, feeling, feeling good, all the confidence in the world. And as that first round progressed, you could see his spirit wilting. And as we got into the second round and Bilal Muhammad was right back there, still going a hundred in his face, pressure nonstop, punches in bunches. 
Sean Brady crumbled. And before that second round was over, Bilal Muhammad had him out of there. I love the way this guy fights. I talked to him a number of years ago going into the Diego Lima fight. We talked about his loss to Jeff Neal, which is the last loss on his resume. It was nine fights ago. And he said, look, I went in there trying to do something big. I had won four straight and I felt like I needed to make a statement. Felt like I needed to pull out my Showtime Pettis. And I just don't, I'm just not Showtime Pettis. Former training partner, Anthony Pettis, former lightweight champ, Anthony Pettis. I'm not that guy. I got to be me. And me is pressure, is pace, is relentlessness, is in your face. And it's been amazing to watch since. He's beaten everybody that they've put in front of him over this run, save for Leon Edwards, where there was an accidental eye poke that ends that fight early, prematurely, on a short notice fight that Bilal took on a couple of weeks' notice after beating Diego Lima. I'm really looking forward to seeing what this pressure, what his pace is able to do to Gilbert Burns over five rounds and how that dictates how this fight plays out. Because I think it's going to be a massive factor. And I want to see if that's what happens on Saturday. Item number three, Gilbert Burns' realism. So I was also fortunate enough to speak with Gilbert Burns last week. Again, the story is up on the UFC website. You can find it in my Twitter feed at Spencer Kite, as you see on the bottom of the screen, if you're watching on YouTube. And we talked about, and I joked right off the bat of like, look, down in Miami, you get the win. You ask Joe Rogan, like, when the UFC calls, what do I say? Joe gives you the yes, as supposed to. And you said, so I want to say now, I'm not fighting anybody. I'm waiting. Title shot next. That's it. That's all I want. Winner of this upcoming fight, Leon Colby. I got next. Don't call me with anything else. Now you're fighting Bilal in a couple of weeks. What happened? And he admitted, he acknowledged, look, and, and this is what I love about Gilbert Burns coming into this fight and just overall. And that makes this fight, it, it adds to the, re, to, the, to the intrigue of this fight. And I'll get through this here. He said, first and foremost, Leon Edwards said, we're not fighting in London. We're not fighting in July. It's going to be October. So when he heard that, he didn't want to sit out for six months, seven months, eight months, whatever it would end up being, waiting for that fight to happen and then his opportunity to come around to face the winner. Because as he correctly stated, Kamaru Usman's going to get back in the mix. Bilal was certainly going to want to get a fight. Shavkat Rachmanov is there. And then there's always other things that happen, right? Stuff happens. You can't predict these things. And so as soon as he heard it was October, not July, he said, I want to get in. The other part of the realism that I adore that makes this fight so interesting is that he said, look, I, this is rolling the dice. Like I said, I wanted a title fight, but now I've been told I win this one, I'm next. And so, yeah, there's a big risk. Bilal Muhammad is tough. I know everything about him. I know how good he is. Respect the hell out of him. He fought my teammate and former and, and training partner, very good friend, Vicente Luque, in the past. He was there for that. I know how that is. I know what it's like. I've talked to Luque. I know what to expect. My coaches have prepared for him. This is a big test. There's a lot on the line here. I could go out here and lose my spot. And then I'm still dealing with all the stuff that I didn't want to deal with by sitting and waiting. Then I've got to be the guy that rebuilds again. But if I go out and win this fight and go out and I bet on myself, believe in myself as I'm, as I'm destined to do, 
believe that God put this fight in front of me, put this opportunity in front of me as a God-fearing man, that this is what I'm supposed to do, then I got to go out there and roll the dice. How can you not appreciate that? How can that not get you excited? I sat here as I am now talking to him and he's, he's saying these things and I was getting pumped hearing it. As I recount it to you, I am getting pumped again for this fight. I think it is a fascinating matchup. I wish that it didn't go this way. I wish that Bilal Muhammad was getting the championship opportunity. I wish that Colby Covington went to the back of the line and had to work his way up through doing more than beating Jorge Masvidal last year. But that's not the way it's worked out. And we've got Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns on Saturday in a phenomenal five-round co-main event. And I absolutely can't wait. Item number four, Jessica Andrade is fighting. If you've followed me over the years, you know that this is a signature entry into the 10 Things collection. Blank is fighting. And Jessica Andrade fits that bill. I was at Jessica Andrade's UFC debut in Seattle when she took on Liz Carmouche on short notice in the bantamweight division when she still had a ponytail and acne and was super shy and nervous and awkward and didn't have the tattoos and just wanted to go around Seattle and look for Jordans. I have watched this woman compete in three weight classes, have success in three weight classes, win a straw weight title, lift Rose Nama Yunus in the air and slam her to the ground, beat the hell out of Caitlin Chikagian's midsection, do all kinds of great things, struggle at times, have some setbacks. Every step of the way, I've been excited to see her get in there. And it's no different this weekend when she takes on Yan, Yan Zhaonan. As I said on Wednesday, on one question, when I asked what Andrade are we going to get, I think this is the best division for her overall. I know that the weight cut is difficult and means she can't compete as frequently as she would like. But I think with her build, with her stature, this is the right division. This is where her talents play best as much as she's had success at flyweight, which again, speaks to how good she is, speaks to how talented and how tough and dynamic she is. But this is where she's best. And I get to watch Jessica Andrade walk to the octagon on Saturday and then step in there and compete. I love it every time. I think you do too. I hope you're excited because I sure as hell am. Item number five, Mavsar Ivloyev returns. This is another guy that I have been paying super close attention to from the time he debuted in the UFC because undefeated young Russian fighters that had success in M1 Global at the time that come over are always going to pique my interest. I always want to see the first couple fights to see, is this the real deal or have they been beaten bums and they're not going to pan out? And very early on, it was clear to me that Ivloyev was a guy we needed to pay attention to at featherweight. He has subsequently earned six straight victories in the UFC. The last one coming last June against Dan Ige in a performance where we saw the full complement of skills. And I think for the first time we saw truthfully and fully that this guy can be a contender in this division. He is the complete package. There were questions earlier in his career about the cardio, about the conditioning, about the ability to go that hard clip for 15 minutes or 25 when we get there. I think he answered those questions against Dan Ige. I was more looking forward to this fight, honestly, when it was Bryce Mitchell. 
because that was a matchup that had been booked last year, was scratched when Evloyev had a knee injury and was replaced. Mitchell fought Ilya Tapuria. They reconnected it here as Evloyev jumped in for Jonathan Pierce. Mitchell is now withdrawn. Diego Lopez comes in. I think this is a showcase opportunity now. I think it's a chance for Evloyev to have a dominant performance. He is a guy to me that has gotten a little bit shuffled to the background in the featherweight division because we've had some fights towards the top end of the weight class. We've had Yair Rodriguez win the interim title. We've had Max Holloway and Arnold Allen a couple of weeks ago in a really great fight. We've got Ilya Tapuria beating Bryce Mitchell and now booked for June against Josh Emmett, who faced Rodriguez in that interim title fight. And so I think a little bit of Ivloyev's shine, a little bit of that momentum has been lost in this period since he last fought. It's been 11 months now. I think we come out of UFC 288 remembering or recognizing for some that this dude is the real deal and he will be fighting people ahead of him in the rankings the rest of the year and making a charge towards the top of the division. He is that good. I look forward to seeing him compete on Saturday. Item number six, perfect Drew Dober fight. I adore Drew Dober. I love watching him fight. As I said yesterday on, on one question, he is the perfect litmus test in the lightweight division. And now he draws a guy in Matt Frivola that is going to bring out all of the best qualities of Drew Dober as a fighter. He is going to present Drew Dober with opportunities to be the best Drew Dober he could possibly be. Not that he necessarily needs someone to present him those opportunities, but it's always nice when you get the right dance partner, right? Some of We've all danced with people at times. Some people you go out there and everything's smooth. Everything fits. Other people, you move opposite each other. You bump heads. It feels awkward and weird and it's just wrong. Frivola is the right dance partner for Drew Dober. He's aggressive. He likes to throw. He can wrestle a little bit. He can scramble a little bit. He's gritty. He's grimy. He's from New York, so he's going to have a hometown crowd. Always travels well. The steamroller group always travels well and, and is out there and vocal. So it will be the kind of fight that Drew Dober is looking for. And to me, that means we will get peak Drew Dober. And I'm always happy about that. Not only is he ridiculously handsome, but he's a hell of a fighter as well. And I look forward to seeing him compete. Item number seven, another test for Kennedy and Zechikou. Been a big fan of Kennedy from the get-go. Obviously, I have a good relationship with his coach, Safe Saoud, down at Fortis MMA. We spoke to Kennedy all the way along through his UFC progression, through those first few fights. Learned very much about his mother and her struggles with ALS and the work he does, the efforts he put in, puts in to take care of her. And I've watched this young man go from being very raw in his first two appearances on the Contender Series and, and winning a contract in the second one, despite the rawness, to growing now to being 30 on the brink of 31, turns 31 this summer, and a guy that finally feels like he's starting to figure it all out and bring it all together, connect all the dots, understand that he's long, that he's got power in both hands, that he can hurt guys, that he doesn't have to wait and be passive and only respond. He can dictate the terms. He can be the guy going forward and putting pressure on opponents. And then when he has them hurt, how to select his shots and make the right decisions to get them out of there. 
comes into this fight on the weekend against Devin Clark on a two-fight winning streak, finished both of those, and this feels like an opportunity. As much as Devin Clark is someone that hasn't elevated himself ever into the top 15 or really put on a run, he's a tough out. He's a dangerous, kind of tricky guy to fight. Great, big, and strong, good wrestler. Certainly the kind of guy that could go out on Saturday, put Kennedy and Zachiku against the fence or on the ground, and beat him. Hand him a loss, stop his winning streak, cancel all of this for me. Put Kennedy in a spot where he's just another guy, so to speak, in the 205-pound weight class. But the flip side of that is possible too. And I can really see Kennedy going out there and having that breakthrough opportunity that I talked about yesterday on one question. And I'm just really curious to see it. I mean, if you've followed me, if you've listened to me over the years, you know that most of this stuff in advance of these fights, most of what I'm looking at is just wanting to have questions answered. It's all science experiments, right? We try something out, we get a result, we figure it out from there. So Saturday night, Kennedy and Zechiku walks to the cage to face Devin Clark. I want to see if he's a guy that has put it all together and is taking those next steps. Saturday night, we'll find out. I'll make my conclusions. I'll draw my conclusions. I'll reassess if I need to. And we'll go from there. Item number eight, the Marina Rodriguez rebuild begins. I was frustrated by the way Marina Rodriguez was booked. I thought she deserved and had merited, done enough to merit a championship opportunity prior to her last fight. I felt like she got treated as the odd woman out in the championship situation. Obviously, the UFC hustled Zhang Weili into a championship opportunity against Carla Sparza. She wins that fight. We are where we are right now. In the interim, Marina Rodriguez, who I felt, as I said, had done enough to merit that opportunity by going out at the start of the year and winning a split decision over Yan Nan to push her winning streak to four. Should have had that sh- should have had that shot. She did not. It ends up being Zhang Weili. Rodriguez fights Amanda Lemos, gets hit with a power shot, gets finished. And now here we are with the Brazilian needing to rebuild and start another run. She gets her countrywoman, Verna Jandiroba, this weekend. It's a dangerous fight because Jandiroba is a very good grappler and feisty on the feet. She's she's willing to mix it up. She'll throw big overhands that have a little bit of power. But from a technical standpoint, from a precision standpoint, overall, this should be a fight that Marina Rodriguez wins. And what I'm looking forward to seeing, and I haven't spoken to her before this one. It's one of the rare occasions where I haven't gotten a chance to talk to her before a fight. I want to see if there's a little bit of a chip on her shoulder. I want to see if there's a little bit of pissed off in Marina Rodriguez this weekend. Because if it's me, there's a whole lot of pissed off. And that would probably work to my detriment. And Werner Jandiroba would beat the hell out of me. But Marina Rodriguez, if she's got a little bit of that chip on her shoulder, a little bit of that frustration from the way things worked out, from winning three straight that felt like enough, to merit an opportunity and then getting Yan Zhao on and getting through that difficult test against someone who is now stationed beside her in the top five or in the top 10, I should say, to losing to Amanda Lamos to now having to regroup to start her 2023 campaign. I want to see if there's a little bit of frustration to her. And if it comes out in a finish, in an attacking performance, if it comes out on the microphone, happy to see her back. Want to see what she does. Looking forward to this one. Item number nine, 
Dana White Contender Series rookies debut. Ikram Alaskarov takes on Phil Hawes. And Rafael Estivam takes on Jalgas Jumagulov. Both guys looked pretty solid in earning their contracts. Alaskarov in submitting Mario Souza very quickly once he got him on the ground, hit a nice Kimura. Great finish. Estevam doing a very good job defending initially against Zhao Elias before getting him out of there in the second round. These are two newcomers to the UFC that are getting immediate tests. And I like that. This isn't we're walking you into the shallow end, but it's also not we're throwing you in the deep end. This is we're placing you on sort of the incline of the pool where we're leading to the deep end and we're going to see how you do. Phil Hawes has power, has wrestling, has grappling, has UFC experience. So he is a good test for the 30-year-old former combat, combat Sambo champion, Aleskarov. Zhumagulov, yes, he's one in five in the UFC, but he probably should have won his last two fights. That would change the way we talk about him and the way we think about him. He is a dangerous, tough out, well-rounded guy for Estevam in his debut. These are two fights I'm really looking forward to. I love watching the Contender Series. Guys get into it, men and women get into it. Looking forward to seeing this one on Saturday. Last one before we get out of here. Item number 10, Daniel Santos in the opener. Wiley Cat impressed me last time out against John Castaneda. He was a guy that for me, after his debut loss to Julio Arce, I kind of just felt like, okay, there's he's, he's just another guy in this division. And then he came out and he got hurt very early against Daniel San against, sorry, excuse me, against John Castaneda. But he weathered the storm and he rebounded and he came back in a, in a hurry and in a flash and he got Castaneda out of there in the second round. He's a member of the Shoot the Box Diego Lima team with Charles Oliveira and Alan Nascimento. So he's surrounded by very good competitors. And he feels to me like a guy that at the very least is going to be an action-oriented, entertaining guy to watch no matter the matchup in the bantamweight division. He gets Johnny Munoz Jr. on Saturday. It's a good fight. It's a clash of styles. Munoz prefers to grapple. Santos prefers to just stand and let it go. We'll see how it plays out. It should be an explosive way to kick off the card on Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. That's it for the program. As I said, QR code up in the corner to subscribe to the Substack. Check out the family at One Bone. Follow me on Twitter. Subscribe to the YouTube. Know that you're loved. We missed you while we were away. We appreciate you being back. And we'll talk to you real soon.